You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 587, Gordon Ramsay's disastrous new television show, Ken Bruce Does a Runner from BBC Radio 2, 40 Years of Breakfast TV, and Juliet and the Delgados. That's all coming up after Electronic and Getting Away With It.
I love this collaboration between Bernard Sumner, Neil Tennant, Chris Lowe and Johnny Marr. This particular track is from late 1989 and has a definite kind of world in motion feel to it. Um, I think placing it in that in that time frame. Number 12 in the UK, number 38 on Billboard Electronic and Getting Away With It. I think that's such a strong song and it's a it's it shows how good it is in that it manages to make the best of um of Bernard Sumner's slightly limited focal range doesn't it and it's and it's really great I think it's a really great collaboration I adore that Welcome along to episode 587 of the Parish Council I'm Terence Stackham and well let's check is she wearing a seatbelt it's Juliet Harris <laughs> I mean, just when you things can't get think things, <laughs> just when you think things can't get any more inane, yeah. I can't even say it. I'm so shocked. Just when yeah. you think things can't get any more ridiculous, they do, don't they? For they goodness do. sake. Um, <laughs> I think you know you need some sort of Roland Rat safety campaign or something to try and make Ricky realise that you do need to wear a seatbelt. No, clunk, click, not every trip for that. No, anyway, indeed. hello everybody. When the uh, when the death of David Crosby was announced a few days ago, I wonder if other people had the same thought as me in that initially it felt awful that the differences between Crosby and Neil Young and Crosby and Graham Nash mm. were not resolved. And then I thought to myself, well, does it really matter? I mean, only the people involved really know if they hurt was deep or was it stubbornness. Um, but mm. musically, Jules, most people commenting on his legacy focus on the first two Crosby, Stills, Nash and then Young albums. Yes, they do, don't they, really? I often feel that David Crosby is best experienced augmented by other people. I think he's better a bit diluted, isn't he, rather than necessarily <laughs> completely by himself. I say that with the greatest of respect, of course. Very much enjoy his uh, portrayal as an Alcoholics Anonymous sponsor in The Simpsons. <laughs> Take it one day at a time and remember that I love you. Yes, that's how I wish to remember David Crosby. Um, no, very, very talented individual. He was once described by a friend of mine as a person as heroically awful which I quite like as a sort of a description I must say he certainly lived life to the full didn't he and certainly fell out with as many people as he could but having said that the the magical combinations of like you say CSN CSNY and actually um the other evening on Smooth Sailing I played um I played something from an album that was just a combination of the two of them I love all the different infinite combinations (laughs) that you get of you know it's, it's almost like um like sort of um those those picture books you used to get which are split into three and they had different people and you could sort of swap around so you could have like the head of an acrobat and the middle of a lion and the bottom of like a policeman or something and i feel a little bit about varying combinations of crosby stills and nash really and that there were different sort of uh there are different ways you could go with them i must say um he did a an album towards the end with graham nash um which i very much liked actually and i did play something off of it on smooth sailing um and yeah i i just i just feel i i played something that um as well that he was performed from what turned out to be rather sadly his last solo album is rodriguez for a night um which was came off for free in 2021 i cannot believe that he would have been about 77 or 78 when he recorded that vocal because he sounded he sounded like he hadn't aged at all really a real shock for him to pass away so suddenly when it felt like he still had things to offer um like you say i'm sad that he never resolved his differences with the others but um but you know mm. what a contribution he's made I did see Crosby, Stills and Nash at Hammersmith Odeon in March mm. 1992, and they were magnificent. Oh, OK. Um, but I did think at the time, oh, aren't they good for old blokes? You know, and that was mm. like, what, 31 <laughs> years ago. So I think so uh, Crosby would have been, Crosby would not have been 50 by then, I suspect. Or exactly. Only Nash was 50 and Stephen Stills was 46. And I was like looking at them and thinking, oh, well, good old boy. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The thing with David Crosby's voice is that although his songs often had deep lyrics and covered serious subjects, his his Mm. voice always makes me think of California and Laurel Canyon and the Pacific Highway, sort of golden sandy beaches at Malibu. He just had that in his voice. And certainly I'll never stop playing those first two Crosby, Stills, Nash and then Young albums. Mm. 
for yeah, sure. Yes, agreed. Now, um, Gordon Ramsay, he's mm. one of those... Speaking of people that are heroically awful, or maybe yeah, well, just one, yes. Very good, Lee. <laughs> um, modern era Thank characters, you. they seem to dwell in a world of fame, way beyond their achievements mm. and abilities due to a clever use, in his case, I think, of television and media to promote his brand. Mm. Um, mm. In the last yes. 20 years... Uh, the appearances of Ramsey on television around the world have become quite u- ubiquitous. The last time mm. um, we came across Ramsey on the parish council was two years ago when his self-produced show Gordon Ramsay's Bank Balance was commissioned for oh, yes. BBC One. And yeah, we thought it was OK without breaking any new territory. But the BBC's views were obvious when it was axed after one mm. season now yes. he's back 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 with his next <laughs> self-produced show next level chef it's debuted here in the uk this month after running for a season in america where it has been recommissioned for a second season it's due to premiere season two on fox after the super bowl so some less than flattering reviews though here in the uk what did you make of next level chef jules well, I mean, I have to say, I did not quite know what to make of it. Full disclosure, I watched this after a full day at work 30 miles from my house, which began with me wheeling off a migraine. So perhaps I wasn't in the sharpest state of mind when watching this. But I, it just it threw everything at me. I think I think this is the, 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 the sort of approach of it. it. It sort of blunderbusses you into submission <laughs> by being so bewildering, by having so many different things going on at high volume and high speed that I just thought, of Grandpa Simpson from mm. The Simpsons, his famous quote. I mean, I, I, you know, I love cooking programs. I really like Great British Menu. I like a lot of the TV chefs. I like a lot of the people on this. I really like Paul Ainsworth from Great British Menu. I think he's a lovely bloke and a great screen presence. Even Gordon Ramsay has obviously been told he needs to try and be more likable. So I didn't find him too bad on this. But I just found the whole experience so bewildering. And so once I think I would have really enjoyed the exhilaration of it and the grandpa simpsons quote is i used to be with it but then they changed what it was now <laughs> what i'm with isn't it anymore and what's it seems weird and scary and it'll happen to you it has happened to me this is weird and scary to me this program i find it really chaotic i and it didn't <laughs> know the thing I found so chaotic and bizarre about it was it seemed to swing wildly between everyone being really nice to each other and then it being completely horrible. And the idea that if you don't get your plate on the thing that goes up in the air, then you can't put your plate in. The fact that, that the people that were at the bottom had to cook with scratched equipment. I found that really weird. And then the fact that everyone likes each other on their team and all of the chefs are trying to challenge, you know, encourage their people on. There were parts of it that were really really kind and there were parts of it that were just horrible and I just I found it so disjointed and so strange and I'm really sick of this kind of hyped up music all the time this kind of x-factorization of everything and I I, had it been a little bit more chill I would have very much enjoyed it I was I was hugely cheered for everyone's favorite cheery anglicized Italian that isn't Frankie Dottori Gino DeCampo making a sudden appearance I love the way he announces itself with it's me. I'm here. I might, mm. when next time I go to the office, to Terence, announce myself <laughs> in that way. I think it could only end well. I'm very much. I'm very keen on sort of these anglicised Italians that we have, like Frankie Dottori and Gina De Camper. I found him very cheery. He also managed to stop some of the chefs from doing truly disastrous things as well. So that was that was good for Gino. But. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure I could bear another one of these, Satie. It's just, if it knew what it wanted to be, I would probably be more at one with it. But it seemed to swing between being a good-natured programme, a bit like the, the celebrity, Britain's Best Celebrity Cook-Off thing they had on during lockdown, which my work team got very obsessed with, and we were all delighted when, when Ed Balls won. Um Britain's Best Celebrity Home Cook, that's what it was called. That was a very good-natured programme. Everyone was supportive of each other. And there were parts of that in this. The contestants didn't needle each other. They worked in teams and they all seemed to get on very well and they all seemed to will each other on. And then you had this kind of ridiculous sort of people running round and having to pick things up very quickly and throw it on the thing that's shot in the air. And just, oh, no, Terence, make it stop. <laughs> 
Well, I just thought this was just awful. I thought it was terrible viewing. It was only 40 minutes, but it, it felt like 40 days stranded in a cultural desert. I really <laughs> I mean, I, I, I recorded it and fast forwarded through the adverts. And I hate yeah. to say bits of the programme as well, really. This is going to be the hardest 40 minutes of your life, uh, shouted the voiceover person to the contestants. And it certainly was uh, for me, too. I, I thought... <laughs> I felt sorry for the contenders. They all seemed pleasant people, as you say. They were all yes, caught up in Gordon Ramsay's shouty world, um, joined by the other people. who I, I respect that you, you knew them. I, I've never heard of them. Everyone has to be on their best game from the get-go, was, was another mm. shouty cliche. I just thought this silly concept of the three levels of cooking, um, yes. a star chef of the week and a cook-off so one person is eliminated. I could just imagine the Ramsey production team at the whiteboard of doom or all, all mm. sort of blue sky thinking, but keeping every overdone and well-worn idea mm. from every other show of this genre. Um I thought it, it was like sewing bee and pottery and whatever, all slung I into mean, this cheap set. Um, Very true. And and I agree. And actually, the thing that it didn't have or didn't have consistently, the pottery in the sewing bee and even Great British Bakery that has degraded since being on Channel 4 is mm. that they do have a good nature to them. And yes. they are softer, quieter, calmer, gentler shows. And this felt like it was trying to do that. But in amounts to all these shouty cliches, as you so rightly say. Exactly. There was that large serving of shoutiness and running about, and it did exactly make Bake Off look pedestrian. And um, I think pedestrian is what you want with these sort of shows, yes, which should absolutely. be a, you want sort of peaceful television wallpaper. Um, the the cook off section at the end felt so tacked on. You know, I was looking for the sellotape yes. holding it together. Um, let's cook seafood risotto shouted this American woman called Noesha Arrington, risotto mm. uh, for risotto. And <laughs> all of this to win... Uh, maybe maybe these are that, too, that too. Was it by sticks, Mr. Roboto? It made me think of that. That was, that <laughs> yeah. was what I got. The Let's cook risotto. Um, yeah, you win £100,000 <laughs> in a year's mentorship from Ramsey and the other two judges. And this leaves the Brits worse off because in the American version, the winner takes home a quarter of a million dollars. So, um, you know, we're, we're sort of the very um, second in class. Yes, second relation. None of this bothers me because I'll never watch it again, Jules. I mean, I don't think I will, if I'm honest. I only ever watch things on ITV if we're reviewing them anyway, yeah. so I don't I don't think it's very likely I will. It's interesting that you say that we, we're the poor relation. Is it, therefore, that they're valuing the mentorship at 150K? Is that what they're saying? <laughs> Maybe so. I, 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 I feel there's, there's some methodology issues there, but I could mm, be wrong. I, I imagine having to meet Gordon Ramsay and the, the risotto woman there uh, all I for mean, a year. I was going to say, I'd, I'd, I'd pay 150k not to spend not a year to, with them, yes. frankly. But, um, but yes, yeah. maybe 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 I'm missing out. Perhaps I am. I'd pay money to spend some time with Paul Ainsworth. He was very nice. But yes, everybody yeah. else, perhaps not. Next Level Chef, it's on ITV on Wednesdays <laughs> at 9pm and also on the ITVX streaming service. Mm. Coming right up the structured sundays of jack d and mm. ken bruce swaps radio stations that's next after the supremes
moving on from the lovely Motown program that we reviewed the other week on the podcast when Motown came to Britain, that program reminded me of the existence of this rather bizarre LP, which I like for its strangeness, I must mm. say. Um, it's, um, it's, it, I mean, it, it, everything from the cover art onwards is incredibly bizarre, and I, I'm here for it, Sati, very, very <laughs> much. Um, it's, it's the Supremes, and they obviously decided they were going to try and sell the Supremes to a British market, and the British market wanted to be sold to America. So from the rather bizarre well-intended album, A Bit of Liverpool by the Supremes, um, uh, that is the song which you and I both know, as you can't do that. But on the American version of this album cover, um, which shows them, by the way, in their bowler hats looking lovely. Mm. Of course, bowler hats known in Liverpool. I mean, mm. this is a little bit hit and miss, and their umbrellas as well. But yes, Leave You Flat is what the Americans called mm-hmm. it, but we know it as you can't do that. And I had to say, for all the oddness of this LP, I think that's a cracking version. It is. Um, this album is, is a real curiosity, as you say, and and mm. not least for the album cover, which, as you say, shows the Supremes in bowler hats and carrying <laughs> rolled up umbrellas, just as every young Liverpudlian did in 1964. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. A little bit of Liverpool, if yes. it was a London borough, I sense. Yeah. I, I really do think that famous people live in a totally different mm. universe to the rest of us. Six months ago, we looked at the somewhat eccentric routine of, uh, of Nina Wadia. And yes, we did. I, that was very strange. I, I must say my Sundays follow a simple uh, pattern. If we're not going to see Chelsea play, we lot around mm-hmm. watching football and escape to the chateau on television. We might yes. go for a lovely walk. That's it. We don't have this structure and regulated routine that famous people seem to have. And this week we were drawn to the Sunday with column in The Observer featuring mm. Jack D, comedian. Jack yes, D. who I like very much, by the way. I've always uh, been rather fond of absolutely. him. I like his presence. It's all so complicated. His Sundays are so complicated. His wife, Jane, has egg white omelettes for breakfast. He has scrambled eggs with the remaining yolks, which is very American. Mm. They go for a walk with their dog. Their their dog goes in a backpack. He cooks outside (laughs) in his clay oven barbecue. He goes to the municipal tip. It's all quite alarming and exhausting, Jules. I mean, I, I have to be honest, Sati, if that for you is a jam-packed routine, oh, I do have minor concerns. I, I, I'm a bit concerned for you, I must say. I just thought it sounded quite boring, actually. I thought it sounded like, I thought it sounded relatively ordinary. My Sundays are usually, if you're not at the football recording the podcast with you in the morning, mm. planning smooth sailing, having a Sunday lunch with my parents, then coming back and maybe seeing a friend for coffee or, oh, or doing Lord. some more radio planning and then presenting. Oh radio in the evening oh, i'm no, beginning to wonder if you're you're not doing enough with your life sir terence maybe <laughs> i need to we need to injure nina wadia if you're listening jack d if you're listening can you perhaps have terence round for an egg white omelette and some singing that would be really great i think and take everyone's dog for a walk there are a lot of dogs around nowadays i noticed this mm. when i was out yesterday with a friend we met very many dogs in a not very long seafront walk. Everybody got mm. one during lockdown, and now, as Pulp once sang, dogs are indeed everywhere. It's <laughs> I I I didn't I I found this a bit of a non-event. I think it might be. I think we might be on different planets. Never mind famous people. I just thought it sounded like. I, and I get having a routine because to me, Sunday's mm. the day that I do the things I haven't had a chance to do on other days. So I enjoyed his visit to the tip. But I think that might, again, like all the dogs, be a hangover from lockdown. Mm. I love the fact that he said you have to book a slot. So his rubbish, <laughs> I think he meant this rather rightly. Jack D's rubbish does not have VIP status, very sadly, <laughs> compared to other people's rubbish. But in during lockdown, my colleagues and I would we still meet every other week, but we meet every week on video on a video meeting. And it, the whole point of the meeting was that it was only minimally about work, and everyone said what they did on their weekend. And there would be noticeable, palpable excitement if someone said they'd been to the tip. So, <laughs> so I think people. 
spot very <laughs> narrow in their horizons in lockdown and embraced the joys of the municipal tip as a result. So maybe it's a, maybe it's a hangover from that. I don't know. You might, I mean, I, I come from a family that always seemed to come back from the tip with more things than we took to it. <laughs> we would always find they'd have like a man in a shed that would have like interesting things that he'd say that would inevitably end up in our shed. And now my dad has three sheds oh, in various like the Wombles of Wimbledon. Exactly, he is the Wombles of Mountfield in East Sussex. I can only describe, I can only describe those states as being in varying states of decay and disarray. <laughs> as is my mum when she levels with the fact that the the sheds are probably going to outlive him, and we're going to have to do something about that at some point in time. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't mind Jack hmm. these days so much. I can understand why you might want a routine and some structure. All of it seemed fairly uncontroversial. I quite admired the lack of food waste. I thought it showed they were a good match. She had egg white long omelets and he had scrambled scrambled eggs with the yolks. I thought that showed yeah, it, it was like me Jack Spratt. Jack Spratt. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, exactly. I thought it worked quite well. So I wish Jack D well in his in, and also wouldn't we have moaned if he was very stern? Would it have been a call? Yes, we go to the we go to the the the, the Ritz for breakfast on mm-hmm. Sundays and then we take a private <laughs> plane down to Sandbags. We'd have moaned like anything if it was like that. I I quite admire the the fact that they take the dog in a backpack around the park and then he cooks at home and you know and then they go to the tip i thought that was quite admirably normal it had more of a shape to me and my family and my friends days than nina wadia's peculiar routine put it that way i tell you what though a psychoanalyst would enjoy unpicking his reply to uh, what's your sunday wind down he said we try not to watch telly before 6 p.m because i never did growing up still trying to please your mother mr jack d oh jack mm. oh man well so there's pizza man maybe the problem with jack d maybe mm. the reason why he's so gloomy all the time is that he's never seen ski sunday if he'd seen <laughs> ski sunday that would have made him a much cheerier true. soul i'm sure <laughs> we've, we've spoken of the exodus of senior or long-standing presenters mm. at bbc radio 2 simon mayo steve wright in the afternoon paul o'grady yes. vanessa Feltz, great Craig Charles, Graham Norton, and Mm. now 45-year veteran um, Ken Bruce, who is simply Mm. switching stations to join Greatest Hits Radio, reportedly going from £325,000 per year at the BBC to half a million uh, a year at Greatest Hits Radio. Mm. Is it all about the money, Jules? One wonders, really. It's it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, so that list that you reeled off, some of those people I miss and some of them I don't really. Bizarrely, yeah. I actually think, and this might be a rather controversial opinion, but I am going to voice it nonetheless. Mm. I think the most underrated loss of that string of people that you read out is Vanessa Feltz. Actually, mm. I think she's a very underrated broad radio broadcaster. She is extremely sharp. I put her and Claudia Winkleman. They might have slightly different personalities, but I put them in a similar box in terms of having a sort of journalistic background um, and having that kind of sharpness about them. The fact that Vanessa Feltz used to do early breakfast on Radio 2 and then literally jump on a limo bike and go across town and go and then do three hours on Radio London. She was underappreciated for too long, I think. But uh, to go back to what I'm actually meant to be talking about, (laughs) um, it's strange, isn't it? I think it's one of these things almost like unstoppable force meeting a movable object. There's been this perfect storm. And I think we slightly disagree occasionally on this, but mm. but I can see why radio stations occasionally want to refresh. I can see if it, if, if it mm. ain't broke, don't fix it. But equally, no one can expect to go on forever. That's why I rather admired Roger Bolton. I admit that I agree with you in, in that it seemed pointless to get rid of him from feedback, but I admired his kind of attitude towards it. I don't blame Radio 2 for wanting to have a bit of a refresh of their of their station. Some of those shows, I don't necessarily mean Ken Bruce, but some of them have got a bit stale, I think. And then, of course, you're li- we're living in a world where the BBC does not have a monopoly on radio anymore. The BBC, I think, for 
wholeheartedly are uh, are cutting their radio budgets. There's the radio in general. Radio Three have just appointed a new controller, and there was a piece about it in the Guardian today, and how they're under enormous pressure because budgets are being cut and cut and cut. And Radio Three is particularly in the crosshairs at the moment because it is it's so expensive to maintain all those orchestras and things. And of course, living in that world where the BBC are cutting, you have commercial radio stations that are spotting a gap and waving checkbooks at people. Virtually all of these people have left for more money. Although having said that, Ken Bruce's contract was up in March and I wondered if it was going to be renewed or not, if you see what I mean. So I think it's a combination of factors. Having said that, it'd be interesting to see whether this works with these people or not. And it'd be interesting to see whether these stations like Boomer Radio, where a lot of the Radio 2 Old Guard are, or Greatest Hits, or LBC, or all of these, or Global, are all of these places going to have the audience that these people are used to? And are they going to realise that you can have all the money in the world that you want, you might not have 8 million people listening to you anymore, what does that mean for you? How do you feel about that? Because I think some of these personalities and naming no names might find that they value money less than they do being the voice of the nation, as it were, being the voice of people with white vans. I'd be interested to see if it works out or not. Yes. I mean, a quick diversion to Vanessa Feltz as well from me, because I totally agree yes. with you. A very underrated presenter. And yes. she she moved to um, talk radio where she does the drive mm. show. It's on TV as well. They, they broadcast oh, it yes. as a TV I show as well. Now. TV, and yeah. she's very, very good. Um, just doing talk only, no music, of course. Yes. And confronting the issues um, of the day. Um, she's very, very good, as is um, the offer. I mean, I know everybody says, oh, Julia Hartley Brewer. But Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast, also on talk. Um, if you, I, I re- appreciate that many people won't like um, her scene. Many people assume her politics. But again, like Vanessa Feltz, when a politician of any um, colour mm. needs to be pinned down, they're both very, very good. They, 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 you know, they know their brief, and they, they. I, I uh, think that yeah, absolutely. I, I have, I have slightly less time for. for I JHB thought you may say most, that. Yeah. Well, only because I find it so tedious on question time. Yes. Having yes, said that, I, on I, that I, she is grandstanding rather yes. than necessarily doing her so, job isn't she but but yeah. no we can definitely agree on Vanessa Feltz Vanessa she Feltz is so no, and 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 I think she was a victim of sort of misogyny of the 90s and the noughties particularly mm. by the by the all I tell you who used to give her a really hard time mm. the truly dreadful Chris Moyles and I have to say oh, really? I am absolutely uh, yes he used to be quite rude about her on his show and I oh, have to Lord. say um, I am delighted by the demise of Chris Moyles. I'm sorry that sounds really mean, but he was often really unpleasant know. about people on Radio 1, partic- on The Breakfast Show, particularly women. And uh, isn't it interesting? I often think that you can tell in in, in the biz of show, I know you have far more experience than me in the biz of show, Sati, <laughs> but um, I think that if people are nice to work with, they will and have realistic expectations. And I think the two go hand in hand. If you are nice and self-aware, you will have realistic expectations. Those people are the people that maintain perhaps not earth shattering careers, but careers. And the people that let everything go to their head rise very far, very far and very fast, but they fall very far and very quickly. And I think it's very telling that Chris Moyles went from the breakfast show on Radio One, you know, the, the biggest radio thing in the nation and was reduced to going on at how I'm a celebrity to remind people of who he was. And I people he fell out with his sort of assistant producer. And uh, yeah, I, I, I wonder. And yet I and I always think the, the ultimate example of someone who might not have been them. When I say I don't think she's untalented at all, but perhaps not the most talented person ever. How has Louise Redknapp had 12 top 10 singles, most of which went top five? Louise nerding as watch from Eternal. Mm. She's just really nice to work with from everybody I know. I know a few people that have worked with her. She sings in tune. She turns up on time. She is nice. Um, She did quite well on Strictly Come Dancing because she works hard and is nice and is quite good. And sometimes 
being nice and quite good is a far, far better combination than being extremely talented, but also really not very nice. So, so be interesting to see the Ken Bruce. I'm sure Ken Bruce is a lovely chap, but be interesting to see if these people have the star quality that can sustain themselves in a platform that isn't a massive platform. And I think we talked about this before in the podcast. Sometimes people confuse the talents they have and the platform that they have mm. be interesting to see the only spaniard in the spaniard in the works as john lennon would put it <laughs> with ken bruce which is typical i'm going to gen i'm going to nation xenophobically stereotype although i'm not being xenophobic i'm being very fond of the scots typical canny shrewd scots that ken bruce has the intellectual property might in prop master that might yes. be the difference mm. Because because everyone I know is obsessed with Popmaster. We all love it. Mm. We will miss it when it leaves Radio 2. Will I listen to Greatest Hits for it? I don't know. Maybe. Mm. Not sure. There must be something underneath all this. Not necessarily something dark and awful happening at Radio mm. 2. I take your point that I, I think your point is well made. It's probably a, a simple um, refreshment of the talent. Um, mm, the I think so leaving maybe are they leaving before they push maybe it's just the money i've never fully understood uh, all this rage our listening statistics but here's a simple comparison that i think we can all get our ears around which is that mm. um as an example ken bruce going to greatest hits radio greatest hits radio weekly reach 4.1 mm. million people bbc Which radio is bigger 2, than i thought it was actually yeah, yeah, yeah. me too bbc two uh sorry bbc radio two weekly reach 7.4 million so almost mm. double so almost double I can't think why you know why would you walk away from that but whether i've grown away from music radio or it's grown away from me i don't know but there is almost Nothing, and I, I think you will disagree with me here, but there's almost nothing in the Radio 2 or indeed Radio 1 schedule that appeals to me in you know the modern day. And my mm. listening habits have been revolutionised in terms of music since the advent of streaming, particularly Spotify, yes. in 2010. And I continue to argue, why would I wade through an hour of music I don't like in the hope of hearing <laughs> one track I may enjoy when I can simply click on a series of tracks I do want to hear and without Jeremy Vine conducting a phone in at the same time? Uh, so it's no contest for me, but good luck to Ken Bruce at Greatest Hits Radio. Absolutely, I agree. And uh, yes, obviously, as you know, and listeners, I'm a huge fan of Six Music. I think if you mm. have presenters that are good, then that makes that makes a great difference. And I think during lockdown, there was a good piece, mm. I think, in The Guardian, interviewing various people that were sort of the radio stars of lockdown, including Lauren Laverne, who were still going in for some for some shows and i think they said that people realized that having the company of a voice on the radio without increasingly terrible pictures with it was actually a great comfort um yes i agree with you much of the radio 2 schedule nowadays is fairly uninspired um i enjoyed the blues show with Karis matthews also six music but six and two are sister stations and i think they have the same controller and there is much made of the sister stations between the two of them and i think the bbc you need to watch out that they don't accidentally end up merging six and two because they do different things but i'm not sure if increasingly they will do or not but um i have to say i find a lot of the daytime music on radio two to be pretty grim i must admit i mean i i try to stick on with ken and, and for pop master but i have to say i sometimes find myself turning the radio down when he plays a song between concessions because it's so awful so um so it'd be interesting to see if that changes or not i must say but um you know, I, I can see why they're trying to freshen Radio 2 up. It'll be interesting to see what direction it goes in. But like you, I could live without um, without three dimensions of the Daily Mail between two, 12 and 2 in the afternoon oh, on Radio yeah. 2, I must say. It's Unbearable, not pleasant. Unlistable. Coming next, we watched a, a fascinating little documentary on the birth mm. of breakfast TV in the UK. And Juliet went to see the Delgados. I did. That's coming up next, right after Pastel.
I love this band. When you when you hear that they're signed to the Spirit of Spike Island record label, it makes <laughs> sense. Uh, a great name for a label. It makes sense is you can hear those influences all through their music, um, you know, Charlotte and Stone Roses and so on. They're touring small venues across the UK in February. This is a recent t- uh, single taken from their EP, Isaiah, Pastel and Soho. Uh, yes, I, I very much. And the fact that it was on, you know, the the, the Spike Island thing mm. really mm. made me laugh because the minute I started to practice, I always oh, think they've ever heard the Stone Roses. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I find it quite entertaining. Like when I used to interview young bands a few years ago and you'd ask them who their formative influences were and they'd say Oasis and the Libertines, bands I used to listen to as a teenager and I feel 110. I feel <laughs> that way. And I'm sure lots of people do it. The Stone Roses are now a heritage band when, you know, <laughs> I remember Jesus, playing their records yeah. at the time. It's very strange isn't it but no i thought that was i thought that was good i wish that band well it was good fun anyone aged under 40 in the uk won't have experienced this but there was a time when we only had a handful of tv channels that once they closed for the evening would not return on, until at least the e- the afternoon of the following day daytime television and especially breakfast television they were seen as an American aberration. Um, you know, those crazy Americans with their TVs in the kitchen and pancakes for breakfast. Mm. And then on the 17th of January, 1983, the BBC launched Breakfast Time, presented by Frank Boff in an awful velour sweater <laughs> and, and a comb over, along with Nick Ross and Selena Scott. And this week we watched an absolutely fascinating short documentary filmed at the time in 19. 1983, running up to the launch of Breakfast Time, and it was presented by another man with an elaborate comb over, mm. uh, Donnie McLeod, for uh, the Pebble Mill One program. And it's it's a this film is lovely. It's a wonderful insight. It's only 14 minutes insight, not only into the launch of the TV show, but this was the bit that really I found fascinating was that it showed us office life in 1983 with dozens of people all wedged into this little room with what they called new technology which is huge computers (laughs) and people puffing away at cigarettes at their desks Yes, and um, those computers interesting to learn that they were used to keep details of the limousines sent for guests on TV and radio (laughs) I mean these days you're lucky if they call a cab for you at the BBC but this was a lovely little film Jules I thought it was great and and actually I found myself not always listening to it because I was just gawping at yes. what was on screen and just the the and and it, I know that we often joke about me being the token young person yeah. on this but I was fascinated because of course I wasn't born in 1983 I was born no. a year later so I was watching this this dispatch from it felt literally another world because it wasn't a world that I I lived in. It was really strange. I had uh, my parents worked in Hastings Borough Council in the Borough Treasurer's Office in Wellington Square in Hastings, which sounds much grander than it actually is, I can assure you. But I remember being taken in as a sort of four, five, six year old to see my dad sometimes. And it, it felt a little bit, I can just about remember people with, like this, people with beards and women with flicky hair and those sort of, <laughs> and those, those blouses all crammed into very small rooms. I mean, working as I do now in a local authority, which involves hot desking, which has a room which is still too big for all of us to sit in it now, can, you know, because so many people mm. work from home so much of the time. It really does, in a post-COVID world or a post-lockdown world, feel like a dispatch from another planet, like it you say. Really does, yeah. I've I've seen some photos, actually, although it's the 80s. There's in Philip Gould's The Unfinished Revolution, which is the sort of history of New Labour and, and, and you know, starting in 83 mm. and ending with the victory in 1997 and then a bit onwards. There are some photographic sections in that from the 98th published edition. And there are some photos of Millbank Tower and the sort of nerve centre. And it doesn't look entirely dissimilar to this. There are, there are some people smoking. There was a lovely film made around that time about, the threat an st i think it was on stv a while ago it was repeated that showed gordon brown and uh and, and various people and ed, ed balls with their cigarettes on the go trying to trying to take the bank of england into independence and um, so and yeah like you say this sort of the idea of uh files piled up everywhere yes. and people smoking and desks that couldn't contain everything on them 
no one looks like that now. At least I think newsrooms might be the last bastion, actually. I saw a photograph of the independent office the other day and it looked as chaotic mm -hmm. as anything did. But now, of course, working in offices where hot desking and, and you know, lots of things are electronic. We don't have paper files where I work anymore. We have some paper documents. We don't have files. And it just, like you say, it felt completely just but adorable in a way it was lovely it was so far removed from what i'm used to in a work yes. environment now that it was just really nice i'm not entirely sure what the storyline was i must say but it was just great to see all these people on those old-fashioned big rotary telephones as well the ones with massive sort yeah. of receivers everything everything was bigger then wasn't it the 80s was the biggest age wasn't it everything was massive the music was loud everything was massive and it had loads of effects on it and everyone was really heavily made up more was more in the 80s wasn't it compared that we really did reach peak more didn't we and then the 90s minimalism came in and all of a sudden everything became smaller again but i enjoyed Living this strange, what was so weird about it as well was if you compare breakfast TV to now, if you mm. compare it to now, in a way, breakfast TV now strives to be less formal in a way, doesn't it? Because this was something that was, that was you know, oh, it's new breakfast TV. And like you say, everybody dressed, dressed very stiffly, didn't they? And it was all very oh, sort yes. of, um, it was all it was all still quite formal, wasn't it? Um, mm. It reminds me of the story. It was, it was almost of an age of the BBC. The BBC was still in that age where... Jane Garvey told us a story once when the Fortunately podcast was still a thing uh, that she had been told that in the olden days of women's hour, for the first decade or two it was on, there used to be a full rehearsal beforehand where the entire programme was rehearsed. And then once the programme had taken place, there would be a proper white tablecloth silver service lunch for mm. the production team, the presenters and all of the all of the guests afterwards. And it felt like that level of formality. Yet now, although we try to be a bit less formal in front of the camera on BBC Breakfast, I suspect the offices are far more professional, whereas the office for this looked really quite chaotic didn't it it, it mm. didn't look like a very slickly organized operation despite how formal all the people were but it looked it looked like a hive of activity so T, part of me wanted to be in that newsroom with enormous Deirdre Barlow glasses with a cigarette <laughs> in one hand on the phone ordering a limousine for uh, for Frank and Selena or whatever it was that you would need it I, I was charmed by this it was just lovely to look at is what I would say about this program I love some of the details in this film. BBC Plymouth sent their weekly mm. gardening feature on tape <laughs> up on the train to London. Which That's is, brilliant. You get a marvellous so right. Um The editor of uh, this breakfast show thing, Breakfast Time, Ron Neal, said that uh, most staff had come from radio, but I noticed his quote. He said, but with real sort of shock and embarrassment, he admitted that some people had been hired from independent television. And he gave it that emphasis. Oh, my you know, gosh. I'm, I'm awfully sorry, gosh. but we've got some people who've moved over from independent television. Um, <laughs> he said that a survey showed that four out of 10 people uh, in the UK had a second TV set somewhere in their homes. Which I think which is shocking at that point. Ab absolutely it, stunning. Um, and one other quick thing that he, he mentioned, um, he said that it was going to be different because no item on breakfast television was going to be longer than three or four minutes. Ooh, and I think that's yes. probably a maxim they still hold on to to this day. Yes, you know, they, I think they, they so. Yes, absolutely. Through it's, stuff. It's... It's very much, you know, or, or you might get repeats of items mm. sort of within the sort of hour or newsy things. But yes, I think they I think they don't. I think they do try to avoid doing that, actually. Mm. A quick aside about Women's Hour that you mentioned there. I, I've heard Ger mm. Giles, Brandreth, uh, Giles Brandreth talks about, I think it was about 1968, and just confirming mm. what you said, that he was invited as, as the voice of youth onto yeah. um, Gosh, we Women's are Hour. Back, aren't we? Bless and he, yes, yeah. dear old Giles. <laughs> and he, he had to um, turn up for that luncheon that you described with the tablecloth yes. and whatnot. But he had to um, send in a full script of everything that he was going to say. Yes. Um, you know, and then turn up with it and read strictly to that script 
And then mm. thank you very much, you know, off, and thank you very much to Giles Bramworth. And now on to our weekly, you know, our, our um, mm. story or something. And so there was you know, no room for discussion or debate. No. It was really strictly defined. Absolutely. Um, Whereas now Women's Hour is actually got a new lease of life for being for having Emma Barnett running it. And for it, and, and actually Women's Hour sometimes generates the news, doesn't it? With some of the interviews that take does. place on it yes. and some of the things that have said. And is is there are yeah, no didn't they a couple of months ago they did uh, they did i know there's exactly and i know there's sort of concern there was concern when jane garvey and and uh, jenny murray left that it, you know the the appointment of a sort of current affairs journalist in emma barnett me, me, be it tempered by anita rani who i think is also someone that is very underrated can i just say mm. and uh, particularly by me as well i just thought oh it's her mm. off country fine and she went on strictly come dancing and she's obviously to soften it up she's no she's no slouch mm. either she's very very, very likable and also a very steely presence but no i think it is an interesting and to heart back what we were saying about radio two earlier change doesn't necessarily mean bad sometimes and and i can see why it might well be in five years time that the people they're bringing into radio two now they're going to be the next generation of beloved broadcasters don't they you know they they it takes time I think um, a lot of what you see, you know, like Anita Rani, Julia, mm. who must not be named, and Vanessa Feltz. Yes. And people, women like this, to get to their roles that they are, have probably had to be 10 times better than any man yes. that was doing oh, a similar absolutely. role and have had to sort of really battle to stay at the top. So they're not going to turn out to be little um, pussycats or teddy no. bears no. ready Funny to be pushed are, over. Isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, Selena Scott, the same, I'm mm. sure. Mm. Now, this little film that we're talking about, really recommend it. It's, it's yes. called, yeah, um, it's simply called Making Breakfast Time, 40 minutes long, totally delicious. And it's just sitting there on YouTube if you if you want to. Absolutely. There's so much great stuff on YouTube, isn't there? I know that almost goes without saying, but you can go behind such amazing mm. rabbit holes, particularly loads of old Thames TV stuff as well and stuff that you mm. that is just not shown anymore. You can, It's all there on YouTube. You just need to dig. Absolutely. Now, after a hiatus of 18 years, that splendid band, <laughs> the Delgados, are back together, at least for live gigs. And, George, you went to see them at Brighton. I did, yes. It was the first of doing a five-night tour over six nights, I think. They have a rest stop today. And I thought was very lucky to see the opening night at the tour at the Concord 2 in Brighton, a venue that's very close to my heart. I'm very fond of it. Yeah, the Delgado split in 2005 and openly admitted that they split because their bass player, who was never a shrinking violet, bless him, Stuart Henderson, left because he said that he was sick of putting his all into everything that he thought was outstanding, which it genuinely is, their music, but mm. did not get the... Crit- well, he got critical acclaim, I suppose, but it did not get the wider spread acclaim that he felt mm. it deserved, mm. and he found it very dispiriting. And I admire him for saying that, and I can totally understand why he does feel that way. It was their first uh, first gig back since then. There were a couple of fluffs, a couple of moments where they had to stop and start again, but <laughs> it was a delight. They were mm. very open in how pleased they were to be back. They were very 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 tight actually for all there were a couple of sort of wobbles they were they were brilliant they were thanking us and everyone was thanking them um they played a whole range of things it was really moving to see them again actually it was they were a very underrated band i hope that they will get their due more this time round mm. um interestingly um i read a quite a long interview with emma pollock in the in the in the herald i think it was one of the scottish papers because they're from glasgow originally and right. um and I um and she actually said she was asked whether they would have new material and she actually said they've always been quite an honest band, I think. It would be a shame and it would be an awful fag and thing to do to get everybody back together again just for five gigs. So I suspect that there will be more things going on. Whatever Emma Pollock is having, I would like some too, because that woman had not <laughs> aged a single day. She, someone said next to me, gosh, she's got a portrait in her attic, hasn't she? She, uh, she, I think she's in her 50s now. She looked and sounded, and, I, and this is not to suggest that she's had showbiz surgery done. She's just worn very, very well. <laughs> she sounded almost exactly the same. And, and I've always enjoyed the Delgado's evolution from a sort of, you know, punkish kind of band to they had the same string section, Sir Terence, that toured oh. with them in 2000 from the Great Eastern. They oh, got them all lovely. back together. 
and everybody was there and they had a couple of other new musicians but she said these were the original and we were introduced to all of the string section individually and um who were brilliant and i love the fact that delgado's evolved to to the point where <laughs> it's the counterpoint it's it's three very loud men and emma pollock who has the purest voice this side of sandy denny who sings beautifully and straightforwardly and is a bit emmy lou harris and is brilliant so you've got her in front of three very loud men and then a string section it shouldn't work in the slightest and it really does work beautifully it was wonderful to have them back also dispatches from the merchandise stand sir terence i know that oh, yes, you like yes. these yeah uh, so I was laughing with the friend that I was with because we said it's not so much a case of people have because it was on from 8.30 till 10 they were on and we thought oh this is a very early gig is this to accommodate the audience now apparently there was a club night in the Concord too so that, that's um, why it was earlier but we thought it might be to accommodate the audience who have gone beyond now they've gone beyond we've booked a babysitter most of the people there clearly have children that are now at university and they have more disposable income and more time as a result and can go out again as a result of which the friend that i was said to me afterwards i'm sorry i didn't get to say goodbye to you i was increasingly washed away by the advancing tide of indie dads heading towards the merchandise store to buy a delgado's branded beer glass that you could buy from the uh, store that you had to reserve you had to you weren't allowed to take it in so various men were clutching raffle tickets that were their reservation of the 12 pound beer glass which looked very nice a chap i got on the train with afterwards bought one i however bought a tea towel said terence oh, they're another one did. of these bands of course that have realized what on the hills of my pixies tea towel my friend susan's Judas and mary train tea towel they've realized that uh, these bands have realized who their audience is and who their audience has become city so i was delighted to buy a tea towel which i carried away in my delgado's tote bag so um so so it really was a very pleasant evening out well we'll come back to the delgados in a minute but just to say um thanks very much for listening this week lovely to have you there yes always always lovely to be here with you no 18 year hiatus for juliet you can hear her twice <laughs> over now with her growing portfolio of radio shows <laughs> what can i say it's a side hustle that's becoming less side and more hustle um uh, you can hear me on sunday evenings on noisebox radio noiseboxradio.com from 7 to 9 p.m doing smooth sailing which is as i explained to someone on friday magic fm on a 50p budget but um if you do wish to hear that sort of thing yacht rock m-o-r a-o-r you know not quite well I, I feel it is greatest hits radio though unfortunately we have no quiz but um if you would like to hear that sort of thing you can do that seven till nine on sunday evenings if you like instrumentals so terence does not but if you do you can tune in on thursday evenings to lost for words with me eight to nine p.m on thursdays repeated 11 till midday on tuesdays and all of these old shows can be found on our mixcloud channel if you go to mixcloud.com and search for Noisebox radio you can find all of the shows there and as promised back to the delgados to play us out yeah absolutely and full confession i did pick another record and then having seen the delgados i thought no do you know what i need to follow my first instinct to pick a delgados <laughs> number um they did a long set list of, of, of incredible stuff spanning their whole career but this is a real fan favorite comes from the album the great eastern witch rather disappointingly lost out on the 2000 mercury music prize to badly drawn boys hour of the bewildered beast by a single vote i will always be very sad for them because i think it should have won really because it's a beautiful beautiful record this is the second song from that record and there was an eruption of joy when they burst into this and it is really great this is accused of stealing tell me your confessions let me be
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. And it appears to be Hello Appears to be Hello Appears to be Hello Time Is a long, 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 long time Before the dawn 